You've probably heard the saying before, the writing is on the wall. Well, that actually comes from the Bible, from Daniel chapter 5, a story about King Belshazzar having a drunken party. This hand appears and writes his condemnation. It was a scary omen, if you will. And he went from a drunken party to being pale, his knees knocking together, and showing once again that God is sovereign over history and sovereign over our lives. We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, you've all probably heard the phrase, the writing is on the wall. You may not have known that it came from the book of Daniel chapter 5, but it indeed does. And when somebody says the writing is on the wall, what they're kind of saying is, you know, something's coming, um, something is going to happen, and you got to kind of prepare for it because the writing is on the wall. It's that kind of thing. Well, it actually comes from the book of Daniel, and we'll look at that in a moment. But the greater message, maybe for a modern hearer of the word of God, is that the writing is on the wall, and it's more than just Daniel chapter 5. In fact, God has written 66 books to us, all inspired by God, all breathed out by God, and all profitable, some of which is prophetic. We've been talking about in the book of Daniel, we have a lot of practical teaching. We, we look at the fiery furnace. We look at, you know, Daniel making up his mind not to defile himself. We're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den. He's going to make strong stands against the culture of Babylon. But we're going to see that a big portion of the book of Daniel is prophetic. In fact, I think it's John Walvoord who wrote a commentary on the book of Daniel and called Daniel the key to prophetic interpretation. We've been talking about how the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament, what Revelation is to the New Testament. And many prophecy experts would tell you that you can't properly interpret Revelation if you don't know the book of Daniel. So we're going to see some of that as we move on in the book of Daniel. We've already seen kind of a down payment of that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. But tonight, as we look at the writing on the wall, we're going to look at a specific prophecy that actually was given to the nation of Babylon. Let me explain. Babylon, in one sense, was a tool in the hand of God, and God had raised up Nebuchadnezzar to ultimately destroy Jerusalem, to take his people captive as a punishment to their disobedience. And 70 years of captivity would occur. God prophesied it. And it would happen, and Daniel knew that because he had the scrolls of Jeremiah, and he knew that that prophecy was going to take place. But as much as Nebuchadnezzar was a tool in the hand of God, God had also promised that Babylon was going to be judged. And even though God used Babylon to execute discipline on the people of Israel, Babylon was still culpable for their acts against the people of Israel. Here's an example. This is Isaiah 21, look at verse 1. It says, The oracle concerning the desert by the sea. 
Like whirlwinds sweeping through the Southland, an invader comes from the desert from the land, a land of terror. Verse 2. A dire vision has been shown to me. The traitor betrays, the looter takes loot. Elam, attack. Medium, lay siege. I will bring to an end all the groaning she caused. At this my body is racked with pain. Pangs seize me like those of a woman in labor. I am staggered by what I hear. I am bewildered by what I see. Isaiah 21, verse 4. My heart falters. Fear makes me tremble. The twilight I long for has become a horror to me. They set the tables. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Get up. You officers, oil the shields. This is what the Lord says to me. Go post a lookout and have him report what he sees. When he sees chariots with the teams of horses, riders on donkeys or riders on camels, let him be alert, fully alert. And the lookout shouted, day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower every night. I stay at my post. Look, here comes a man in a chariot with a team of horses. And he gives back the answer. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. O my people, crushed on the threshing floor, I tell you what I have heard from the Lord Almighty, from the God of Israel. Now, many of you will recognize in uh, Isaiah 21.9 a phrase that is picked up in the book of Revelation. Babylon, Babylon, fallen is Babylon. Because Babylon in the book of Revelation in chapters 17 and 18 represents a world system in defiance to God. And many prophecy experts believe that Babylon in the last days captures a world in rebellion to God, but pictured through Babel back in Genesis 10 and all the way through to the kingdom of Babylon, which worshipped idols and ultimately defied the living God. The next book to your right is the book of Jeremiah. Go all the way to chapter 51 of Jeremiah for another prophecy, you could say another writing on the wall against the kingdom of Babylon. We will see that this particular writing on the wall is against an individual king and against a nation. 5147 is where you want to be in Jeremiah. 5147 says, Therefore, behold, days are coming when I shall punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be put to shame, and all her slain will fall in her midst. 51, 48. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers will come to her from the north, declares the Lord. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel, as also for uh, Babylon the slain of all the earth have fallen. You who have escaped the sword, depart, do not stay. Remember the Lord from afar and let Jerusalem come to your mind. We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Disgrace has covered our faces for aliens have entered the holy places of the Lord's house. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in chapter one of Daniel takes the, the vessels of the temple, puts them in the temple of his God. This is what it depicts. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, 52, declares the Lord when I shall punish her idols and the mortally wounded will groan throughout her land. Though Babylon should ascend to the heavens and though she should fortify her lofty stronghold, from me destroyers will, destroyers will come to her, declares the Lord. The sound of an outcry from Babylon and of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is going to destroy Babylon. Notice it's God behind the Medes and the Persians. In world history, the Medes and the Persians did destroy Babylon, but God is the ultimate power behind it. 
He will make a, her a, a, a he will make her loud noise vanish from her. Their waves will roar like many waters. The tumult of their voices sounds forth. For the destroyer is coming against her, against Babylon. Her mighty men will be captured. Their bows are shattered. For the Lord is a God of recompense, and he will fully repay. And I shall make her princes and her wise men drunk. You're going to see a scene in Daniel 5 where Belshazzar has a party. And they begin to drink a wine from the golden vessels they took from the temple and begin, many believe, in a drunken type of orgy party. And hear a prophecy. They will be drunk, her governors, her prefects, her mighty men, that they may sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake up, declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon, and indeed the walls were very thick in Babylon, will be completely razed. Her high gates will be set on fire. So the peoples will toil for nothing, and the nations become exhausted only for fire. Now, if you keep going to your right, you're going to get to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And we do have a historical setting for what took place here. We have uh, a record in history of the night that Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. And this is in accord with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He was the head of gold. There was chest and arms of silver. This is talked about a little bit more in Daniel 7 with, uh, I think it's a bear and a lion representing um, Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire. I think I have that correct. But, but uh, we'll get more of that in Daniel chapter 7. But as we close Daniel chapter 4, we saw Nebuchadnezzar humbled and uh, he gave praise to God which leads you to believe that he became a believer. Look at verse uh, 35 of Daniel 4. It says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He, God, does according to his will in the host of heaven. Among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? At that time, my reason returned to me, Nebuchadnezzar speaking, my majesty, my splendor were restored to me for the, for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpa surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true, his ways are just, his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You might want to mark that. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. We're about to see it again, and it is believed that Belshazzar is most likely, the next king we're going to see in chapter 5, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to watch the scene tonight, and you're going to wonder, how is it that Belshazzar does not know about the God of Israel, about Daniel, about the things that his own grandfather said about the God of Israel? Why would he have a party like this? Why would he shake his fist at God? Why would he take the holy vessels that Nebuchadnezzar now seems to believe are holy and sacred and distinct from his gods, why would he defile them just to impress his friends and nobles? But then I could throw out a lot of questions about what a lot of people do and why they do it. And I could add that I wonder why people, a lot of people do the things that they do when they're Christians. Can I get a witness? Why? 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 Do you sometimes look in the mirror and ask that same question? Why? Why? <laughs> 
Why do I do that? Why do I act that way? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. You might want to mark that. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. We're about to see it again. And it is believed that Belshazzar is most likely, the next king we're going to see in chapter 5, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to watch the scene tonight and you're going to wonder how is it that Belshazzar does not know about the God of Israel, about Daniel, about the things that his own grandfather said about the God of Israel. Why would he have a party like this? Why would he shake his fist at God? Why would he take the holy vessels that Nebuchadnezzar now seems to believe are holy and sacred and distinct from his gods, why would he defile them just to impress his friends and nobles? But then I could throw out a lot of questions about what a lot of people do and why they do it. And I could add that I wonder why people, a lot of people do the things that they do when they're Christians. Can I get a witness? Why? 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 Do you sometimes look in the mirror and ask that same question? Why? Why do I do that? Why do I act that way? I'm a Christian. I should know better. Well, Belshazzar had information. He had prophecies. He had his own grandfather. But apparently he did not get the message. This is an interesting prophecy. This is um, Jeremiah 27, 7. It says, And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. Mark down. Jeremiah 27, 7, where he prophesies the future of Babylon and the destruction uh, therein. And so Belshazzar is the ruler that we're going to meet tonight, a relative of Nebuchadnezzar, and the writing is definitely on the wall. Jesus uh, looked at the religious leaders of his day and he said, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times, Matthew 16, 3. In Luke 19, 41, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, he goes on to say, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8, just write it down for your notes. Paul's talking about the day of the Lord. And he says, the world, when the day of the Lord commences, will be saying as a mantra, peace and safety, peace and safety, but there will be no peace. Then sudden destruction will come upon them, like birth pangs upon a woman in labor, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. You are sons of light. You are sons of the day. Paul says those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Those who sleep, sleep at night. But we are children of the light. We should not be overtaken by what overtakes those who are ignorant to the truth of God. Do you know your Bible? Do you know the signs of the times? Do you understand the writing on the wall? Can you discern what you should be doing in this very time, in this very hour? What should you be doing? You should be studying the word of God. You should be reading it for all it's worth and applying it. That's what we're learning in the book of James, right? We should not have churches strewn across America who come in to hear a sermon for 30 to 45 minutes with no intention to leave and do anything with it. That's not what God has for you. What God has for you is to hear his word and respond to it. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly. We all know that. But to the degree that we apply God's word, we will be the better for it. This event that we're going to read about uh, tonight took place in 539 B.C. 539 B.C. I'll give you some exact dates in a moment. This is Daniel 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, had a party. <laughs> what a way to open up a chapter, right? I was reading a commentary, uh, and Billy Graham some years ago opened a, one of his famous evangelistic sermons with Belshazzar gave a party and invited all his friends. <laughs> How many of you could say, man, that captures at least a portion of my life? <laughs> A party, party, party. It was all, all about the next party, man. Uh, a lot of people use uh, just about every excuse they can to party. Oh, this is going on. Let's have a party. Oh, this is going on. Let's have a party. But Belshazzar had a party, but sadly, it was the final party of his life. He was going to die. The Medo-Persian army was heading towards his kingdom. But he believed that things were impenetrable. In fact, they say that Babylon boasted at this time in history that they had a 20-year food supply within the walls of the city, that they could feed their populace for 20 years. If an army was outside, they had these incredibly thick walls. They had the Euphrates River. They thought they were impenetrable. Oriental despots, says one writer, took great pleasure in hosting great banquets to display their wealth and splendor. You could compare Esther chapter 1. And so that's what Belshazzar is doing. He has a great feast, verse 1, for a thousand of his nobles or lords. And he was drinking wine in the presence of a thousand. He was likely on some sort of elevated platform. Archaeologists tell us that what they've dug up in ancient Babylon reveals great halls that could easily fit a thousand people having some sort of gathering like this. So this is nothing unusual. And here they are having a party. This uh, particular event happened on the night of October 12th, 
539 B.C., October, October the 12th, 539 B.C. We learn from extra-biblical sources, both in cuneiform and Greek. Uh, historians Herodotus and Xenophon, the Persians were poised on the plain outside of Babylon, ready to take the city. It may well be that Belshazzar did not know that they were close, or that he believed that even if they were out there, they could not penetrate the walls of the city. Jesus said, in the last days, when the Son of Man comes, it will be just like the days of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. This is Jesus. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus says, when you read some of these stories, and by the way, Jesus believed these stories were literal, he believed there was a literal flood, worldwide flood. He believed that Noah got on a boat with his family. He believed that fire and brimstone rained on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't care what the liberal so-called scholars say today about what they believe about these stories. I choose to believe Jesus. By the way, on Sunday, if you come, Jesus believed in Jonah and a big fish. What sort of fish was it? I don't know. But it was big. And it swallowed a prophet. And he came to his senses in the midst of a fish. More to come on Sunday. I hope you're here. But anyway, Jesus said it's going to be that same way. In fact, when Lot uh, went to his sons-in-law and told them to get out of town, they thought he was joking. They thought he was telling them a whopper. What do you mean the city's going to be destroyed? <laughs> Until all of a sudden, ah! right? And that's kind of how the world, and we're going to see Belshazzar's attitude is. Oh, nothing's going to happen. Or maybe Belshazzar had this attitude. Maybe he thought, his demise was coming, so he embraced this saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So maybe that's why he was parting it up. Whatever the case may be, uh, this does seem to be a sneak attack on the part of the Persian army, and Belshazzar's writing was on the wall. Why was he so impervious to the danger that was coming? Karl Marx said that, the, that religion is the opiate of the people. Listen to these words. He meant that religion puts us to sleep so that our oppressors have less trouble maintaining their supremacy. But Marx got it exactly backward. It is not religion that drugs us. It is sin. True religion wakes us up by turning us from sin to the righteousness of God that is in Jesus Christ. At the moment of the greatest of all dangers... Belshazzar was drugging himself at his party. Yet it is not only Belshazzar who has done this. Our culture is doing it as well. Some time ago, a book by Neil Postman entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death came out. Public discourse in the age of shoe business appeared in American bookstores. <clears throat> it was all about television 
and its pernicious effects on our country. It might well have been written about a culture at large and have voiced alarm at our spiritual condition. By refusing to think, especially about eternal realities, and by filling our days with entertainment, we lose sight of danger and plunge into the abyss, close quote. Now I'm quoting somebody else, but don't you think that's quite accurate? That we have a culture that's entertaining itself away from reality. But if you can see the truth tonight and wake up to the realities of the kingdom of God, you will see more clearly than you've ever seen before. We want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Well, here we find ourselves in the fall, quickly moving towards Halloween or All Hallows Evening. We have a special offer for you. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult. In this series, we expose the occult for what it is and shine the light and power of Christ upon it. What is the occult, you might ask? Well, it really comes from that which is occluded, hidden, secret, mysterious, esoteric, behind the veil. And for the Christian, something that's forbidden. Some people have opened the door to the occult and opened their lives to very dark and sinister things. But there's hope, hope in the gospel of Christ and hope for those who have opened that door when they come to Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about this product, reach out to us at 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH, or check out the website, walkintruth.com. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.